0: We have come so far, so far. From home. We have
1: come so far, so far to go. to go. We have come so far. Hey, Kayla. Hi, Blake. How are we you? So far, so far, so I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad to be back. It's been it feels a long like time. It's been, it's been such a long time. It, I don't know if it feels shorter or longer than it has been. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: welcome back. It's 2032. <laughs> <laughs> we, we took a decade off dealing with the uh, pandemic in an election year with yeah. the census. And yeah. yeah, but really, it's early October and we haven't been with you since the summer.
1: Yes, yes. So welcome back to you. Welcome back to all of our listeners. This is, of course, Under the Arch, the podcast where we discuss issues facing our community and the people fighting to transform those communities. And uh, we are really excited to be back. It's kind of interesting that the last time we talked, I think the last time we talked was actually as part of the Woke Voter Debate Series, and when, of yes. course, we had a debate for the circuit attorney's office. We had a debate for the county executive's office. Um, so we've been just trying to bring listeners as much information as possible to inform their decisions in this election season.
0: Right. And so we had a really big election on August 4th, which, I, you know, is really important. Um, we ended up, as a state, we passed Medicaid expansion which hadn't happened, has been a fight in the state for a decade. Um, I want to send so much love to the Action St. Louis team that mobilized to knock on thousands of doors, developed an entire, um, you know, process to canvass in a pandemic while keeping everyone safe and all the volunteers. Um, Because it's so important. Healthcare in the middle of a pandemic, you understand why we need to be moving the needle on that. And voters showed up. And then in St. Louis... Um, we had some pretty. They called it the like the Black Girl Magic election.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it was pretty amazing that that August election to see the way that people showed up in the midst of all the things you're talking about, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of ongoing challenges, um, in the midst of an uprising. People showed up. They voted, and you saw this incredible kind of grassroots swell. Especially, I mean, statewide around um, the Medicaid expansion, I think was yeah. just tremendous you. to see and I know you and your team and so many other organizations work so hard to, to so help hard. make that happen so, so that was really that
0: so much gratitude to jobs of justice MCU just so many groups who yes. have been fighting for this long before I was an organizer so to be yeah. a part of that coalition is really amazing uh, congrats to all the people who won those seats Um we had those two debates, and Kim Gardner is was reelected as a circuit attorney. Sam Page was reelected as the county executive. Those are significant seats, which is why we decided mm-hmm. to have debates for them. Um, because you know, those they control the budget and how criminal justice works in our communities, and those issues are really important to our organization. Then over thirty thousand people tuned in to watch wow. those debates, and so. And that was the last time we talked to you. But something happened. That was the After last the debate time for the election, Blake. Do you want to talk about that?
1: What I don't, I don't know what you're. He closed <laughs> the jail. Oh, that thing that happened. Yeah, that you know, thing just, that uh, happened. Yeah, because the last time we talked about it on this podcast, we were still in the thick of it, it we, we were feeling like, some don't... frustration. We were up. <laughs> <hard>. <laughs> yes, but we did unanimously pass a bill at the Board of Aldermen uh, and the mayor signed to close the workhouse jail by the end of this year. Um, yeah. We will be talking much more about that and all that it means. And, you know, the work is not done. The work is never done. So we still have some work to do to make sure that that money gets in the hands of people. We want to talk about participatory budgeting. Lots of exciting stuff lots there.
0: All that um, to say, while we haven't had episodes we have been working. Under <laughs> now we're worked. back. Our team gathered us. Maybe yes. We were like, yes. remember you do a podcast. Yes. Okay. We are back to close out season yes. two with a few really great episodes. And I'm so like excited. Part of part two. You know, we yes. had like that summer break like a TV show and now this is the fall premiere. That's of right. <laughs> of, of <laughs> and I'm excited yes. for this conversation.
1: Yeah. And we're continuing with our... Electoral theme, yep. uh, of course, I, or uh, August rather was not the only major election this year. You uh, may know that there's an election coming up in November. I don't know yeah. if people are aware of that, but I but there is. Are. I hope I'm you are aware. aware. I, while and, we're recording
0: this, we're 31 days away. By the time you hear this, we'll be in the 20s. So we'll be
1: yeah, in the 20s or, or so. The election.
0: That's right. Oh my God! But. We we wanted to have a conversation with someone who um, works around you know accountability and transparency because when you think about elected leadership you are thinking about sending people into the state legislatures and city councils and board of aldermen's mayors offices uh, to do work on behalf of communities and so we want to we want to learn more about how we can continue to push for accountability and transparency and talk about. November 3rd, because it's coming, whether or not we want it to or not. and
1: Whether, whether or not, not anything. Who <laughs> knows what it'll look like Yeah, who knows? Coming.
0: Who knows what it'll look like after <laughs> this week. But um, I, we should introduce our guests.
1: Yes, we should. You want to take it?
0: I I will happily take it. So our first guest on our fall premiere of season two of Under the Arch After a Long Hiatus is none other than the auditor of the state of Missouri, Nicole Galloway. Nicole, welcome to Under the Arch.
1: Welcome, oh, welcome, you. welcome.
0: Thank
2: you, Kayla. Thank you, Blake. I am so excited to join you. And right, we're recording this. There's 31 days away. When you said that it'll be 20 or so when this airs,
0: I cannot even believe that. Make time go faster, please. <laughs> <laughs> or or, or <laughs> you know. Or go, we can go back to 2019 and press a reset. I don't know if I want to be Marty and go back and try to avoid this, <laughs> or if I just want to fast forward through yeah. it.
1: It's
0: coming. It's coming. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us, um, Auditor uh, Galloway. Um, And a lot of people may not know a lot about you. So introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, well,
2: again, thank you so much. Uh, And I I really appreciate this opportunity. So um, for folks that don't know me, I grew up in St. Louis, I grew up in Fenton. Um, I uh, was never into politics growing up. I mean, that was not something my family did at all. And uh, so I have a background and kind of an unusual way to get into politics and public service. Um, I have a background in math and economics. I'm a CPA and a certified fraud examiner. I uh, worked at the local level. I first got into public service as treasurer in Boone County in the very middle of the state where Columbia is. And the reason that I wanted to get involved into public service is really simple. And I wanted to use the skills that I had to improve the community around me. You know, that was kind of it. Um, My husband and I were growing our family in Columbia at the time. Now I have three kids, all boys, Eight, six, and three. Wow. Yeah, and I care a lot about what the future of this state is going to be for my family, but also for those that are around me. Yeah. And I became state auditor back in 2015, ran for my second term in 2018. Um, and a lot of folks don't know what the state auditor does. Uh, and so my job is to be an independent watchdog standing on the side of taxpayers, holding government accountable for the decisions they make on your behalf, and how they spend your money. And I know why people tell me they feel like the system is broken or it's not working for them because I see that all the time in my job. I've identified over $350 million in government waste, abuse, mm. and management. And because of my audits, 63 criminal counts have been brought against corrupt public officials in this state. Democrats and Republicans. You know, I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. You need to be held accountable for how you, as I said, make decisions on our behalf.
1: Mm. Yeah. But we definitely want to talk a lot about your role as state auditor, because I think it's such an interesting, obviously important role um, in the state and in and, and politics generally. Uh, but um, it's it's Funny to hear you say that you never saw yourself going into politics. Because um, um, most people, you know, that we talk to that are that are in office were like class president. And then in the young Democrats or Republicans or whatever, they've been sort of doing it their whole lives. Yeah,
0: I'm not going to. I'm just holding it down for the class presidents who won't be elected.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some get out early. But I'm curious when you had that moment that you. Thought, uh, you know what, I think I want to go into public service. What What did that for you?
2: You know, service is something that's always been important to me. Um, you know, I, I have always done service projects growing up um, through school or through different organizations. And college, I did that as a young adult after I graduated college. I participated in a, different organizations. And so to me, service is meeting people where they are and figuring out how to help them, sometimes in small ways and sometimes in big ones. And at the local level, uh, when I first got involved in politics or public service, whatever you want to call it, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't about partisanship. It was about fixing problems. You know, I had people in my office concerned about their roads, concerned about their public safety, concerned about their kids. And they wanted to know how you could help them. And that was really uh, fulfilling. To me. And in my time in local government, I started to realize how the system worked that there are people in positions of power that are making decisions on our behalf, my behalf, your behalf, Blake, your behalf, Kayla, and oftentimes never thinking about us, never considering what those decisions mean for you for your community, for your family, for your future opportunity. And I saw, you know, going into statewide offices, particularly in the role of state auditor, a way to hold people accountable for that uh, and to force them to act with transparency so we could understand how those choices and decisions were made. And so, you know, I guess I got started and it was kind of simple, right? It was about public service. It was about improvement. It was about helping folks and then learning how the system worked and trying to make it better. yeah. That's, yeah. Such
0: a, that's such a great explanation. You know, when we, we were thinking about, um, we often play this kind of game of figuring out what we're gonna name the episodes. And Blake brought up, you know, that we're in Missouri. So of course we have Mo, we're talking to a statewide official. So we should, you know, it's not just about under the arch, it's, under, it's in the show me statewide. Um, and he was talking about Mo problems because you often identify problems. And there's a song by, you know, the Notorious um, (laughs) B.I.G., Mo Money Mo Problems, where you not only identify the problems, but they are often attached to money. And there are people who live in our state who feel like I pay my taxes. You know, I pay my property taxes. I pay sales tax. You know, I pay my I pay my you know, every level of government. There's so many deductions on our checks, but I don't see where, where my money is going. And part of your role is to like make that accessible and transparent to folks. And and so how many in your role of, as auditor, how many reports have you, how many audits have you done? Where have those audits taken place? Uh, and then I really would love for us to talk about some of the recent audits that you've released that are actually about the city and the county of St. Louis.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we, I mean, in the last five years have released hundreds of audits and I review all levels of government from local governments, like you're mentioning city, county, municipalities, municipal courts, all the way up to large state agencies like the Department of Education and the Department of Transportation. I audit other elected officials too. And, you know, in, for me, you know, it's an I have found myself on an island in Jefferson City quite frequently. Yeah. Not only because <laughs> I audit everybody, but I didn't hold them accountable. Yeah. Um, but I am the only Democrat in statewide office. I'm the only woman in statewide mm. office. I'm the first woman to have a baby while in statewide office. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I find myself on this on this island, as I said, but for me, it is very freeing because I can make good decisions and make good choices based on what's best for the folks that I am serving. I don't feel those other pressures that folks might have. Um, and so, as I said, I audit all levels of government and have taken on some really powerful folks to shine a light on what they're doing, problems that folks may not even realize existed until we pointed them out. But you can't fix what you don't acknowledge, right? And so part of this is not just identifying a bunch of problems and calling it out, but also putting forward solutions so government can work better for people, so government can serve its people and not itself.
1: Yeah. So as Kayla said, we definitely wanted to ask about um, a few recent Audits impacting the St. Louis region that that sort of made local news, and we certainly want to ask about the, um, your recent audit of county government and the sort of ongoing many of the issues that we've had there. The recent city public safety audit, but actually wanted to start with this audit. I think you released last week um, about St. Louis City TIFs, tax increment financing, and for people, you know that. I think people hear this term and it's sort of jargony and don't know what it means. Listeners, please, please tune in closely to this conversation because this is so important. (laughs) And I'm really eager. When you become an organizer, that word is thrown around. It's
0: like, well, that's a 10 year tip. And I was like, what is TIF?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean so, Okay, let's start there. Let's start there. Like what what is TIF? can you tell us um, what this audit was looking at and what you found, you know, break down what a TIF is and then what you found when you looked into the, the TIF process in St. Louis.
2: Sure. And so to be clear, we looked at St. Louis City, not St. Louis County, but St. Louis right. City. Yeah. And we looked at how the city administers TIFS. And what TIFs are or what TIF stands for is tax increment financing. And so what happens is there's a, an opportunity for development and the city says we will if you create development uh, that may not otherwise occur, there is going to be growth growth in property value, mm-hmm. growth in sales tax or, or, or growth in a tax base, and we'll divert that growth and tax for a period of time to your project to make it sustainable or, or mm-hmm. to development. So the intention of a TIF is to create development that may not otherwise occur because uh, it's a blighted area or for some other reason. Right. Under the law. Right. Right. Uh, And so the idea of TIFs is not necessarily a bad one. Mm -hmm. However, do realize that within the use of TIFs, the money that they're diverting is money that's supposed to go to the local school districts. Right, right. It's money that's supposed to go to the local entity. So it might be um, an ambulance district. It might be a local municipality like the city of St. Louis. It could be for public safety or, or any of those taxes that you pay. It's diverted then. Instead of going to those public entities like you think, it's going to the developer or to that, pers- that property owner through the development. Again, not on its face necessarily bad, But what we found is that the city is not properly administering TIFs and protecting the taxpayers. The only opportunity for taxpayers to get protection is through the city. The the city of St. Louis is the entity issuing these TIFs. And so the only protection has to happen through the city of St. Louis. Um, And so we found that there definitely needs to be improvements on that. I mean, a lot of times, you know, developers might – provide analysis that this is going to be a great project with a great return and the city isn't checking those numbers to make sure that they're accurate. And so they're issuing the TIF on sometimes false or unchecked information. Right. There's very little transparency. You have to go to the, uh, to the, um, uh, comptroller. You have to go to the assessor. You have to go to SLDC, uh, the development corporation mm-hmm. information on TIF instead of having one central location. So, Blake, you or Kayla, you, if you are trying to look for information, you have to fish around city government instead of finding it in one place. Um, And the other thing that we found that I think is is was pretty eye opening is, you know, with all these TIFs, there's about over six hundred million dollars. And Tiff And that number
1: was like mind blowing when I saw
2: that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's real money. money. This is big money. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. this debt is issued and the debt compounds at such a high rate that, that the, all this tax money is being diverted to pay off interest and is not paying off any of the principal. So, you know, it's it, it, the only opportunity, as I said. For taxpayer protection, for you to be protected in this process is with the city vetting these projects and mm-hmm. making sure that they make sense, that they make sense yeah. for the city.
1: Yeah, I
0: think we hear. Oh, uh, sorry, go ahead, Kim. We hear. You know, we hear about the tips and. Often we hear about them being concentrated in affluent parts of the city of St. Louis, and so they're they're not really incentivizing developers to go into historically divested or blighted communities and start to build, um, you know, economic districts. But really, they're kind of in the Central Corridor, in pockets of South City, um, and, and and then those communities, the communities that need development are often overlooked because they're, we're not incentivizing the, the developments to happen in those places, and we, losing money.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, we found that the majority of TIFs are in four wards. You basically named where they are, and wow you know, the city has implemented a new uh, tool. They're trying to come up with a strategic plan for development, but we found that it needs improvement. They haven't gone far enough and they need to follow their own, even their own rules and policies. So, um, you know, again, this is a diversion of money from the school district. So these projects need to make sense um, and that you need an actual return on investment. You as a taxpayer, because you work hard for what you're had, the folks listening to this podcast, you, work hard for what you have. You work hard to provide an opportunity for yourself and for your family. And so if the city is going to spend your money instead of going in for it to go to, to schools, then it needs to make sense for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know we have a couple other artists want to ask you about, but the, the other thing that jumped out to me, I mean, one, one was this sort of concentration of that amount of money in this small sort of geographic pocket. That's definitely one of the headlines. The other thing I didn't know that just, stood out for me was the, the fee structure around the TIFs and the fact that there's there's this incentive to grant TIFs because the, the body that is granting them actually gets fees. Can, can you explain that a little bit?
2: Right. So the way that um, the Development Corporation in St. Louis um, uh, gets revenue from these TIFs is based on the amount of the TIF. So the more that uh, is approved, the higher the fee. Um, And so that can create at least the appearance that there's a conflict, right? Or that there's uh, not the right incentive to improve the right amount or to approve the best amount, but um, that they might be incentivized to do something different. And so there needs to be checks and balances. That's what we're calling for is common sense oversight, common sense checks and balances. So, you know, again, it's about protecting you, the taxpayer. Yeah. The bottom line is what this is all about.
1: Yeah. Well, your audit definitely made me think we need to do a whole episode on TIFFs. So we're probably going we, to be doing we, that.
0: Because <laughs> it's such a, it is such a thing that is like always, you know, I, was, I spent many weeks down at the Board of Aldermen pre-COVID when you could sit in the gallery and the, the arguments that would erupt over TIFFs, you know. It's not something that regular voters, residents are are privy to. You know, they're not included, um, and and we kind of hand them out like candy. <laughs> and there's this automatic courtesy that you know people aren't. They're not asking deep questions. Where and now it's, it almost feels like it's a culture to do the tiff more than the like does more than the questions that you brought up. How does this benefit? Who does this benefit? Will this will this you know increase? Um, Economic development opportunities in, in parts of in parts of the city that really need it, right? In parts of the city that really need it, yeah. um, It's kind of continuous like arch to park um, kind of you know process that we've seen over the last couple of decades here in the city of St. Louis. No. So I do think you know we season three Tiff's is coming.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So let, let's talk about the, the newsier ones for a bit. Um, maybe starting with, with St. Louis County and the, the audit of, um, well, I, I'm interested to hear your frame of of what you are actually auditing in, um, in St. Louis County, because it seemed less, I think I, like many people think about auditors as just looking at like, financial books and see if the numbers are adding up. And this seemed to go beyond that in the kind of oversight processes. Can you describe that audit?
2: Sure. So we did an audit of the city, or excuse me, of St. Louis County. And what the city council, gosh, the county council uh, asked us to do was to come in and look at not necessarily um, what happened with Steve Stinger, but how it happened and how it can be prevented from happening in the future. Um, And so that's what we looked at. What checks and balances, what oversight exists in county government to make sure that uh, an actor like Steve Singer cannot come in, manipulate the process, collude with others while it's going undetected in a pay-to-play scheme, which he is now rightfully serving jail time for, right, and has to pay restitution, has to pay taxpayers back. So to be clear, I mean, he manipulated the system, you know, and he took advantage of that opportunity. Um, we want to make, we want to explain what, how it happened and, and to make sure that it can happen in the future. And what we found is that Many times there was not sufficient oversight or vetting of some of the former county executives' decisions uh, by the county council and the county auditor. Um, you know, there was, if you remember, if you, if you step back in time a little bit, you know, there was uh, lots of discussion and complaints about Stinger's activities but the county auditor didn't really look into them or didn't have the ability or the capability to look into them. And if he was able to do his job, then he could have caught some of this stuff as it was happening. Um, we also found that the county council voted on several contracts and leases that they didn't really ask a lot of questions about. You know, again, that's the opportunity to ask questions. What is going on with this lease? Why is it costing us so much? Um, why is this a benefit? And so, uh, and why would we approve this? You know, just basic analysis uh, type questions that the county didn't vet some of these things that they were voting on. And so they went through. And then later we found out that county taxpayers are on the hook for over $70 million in a 20 year lease, that seems to provide no benefit to county taxpayers. And that is real money. Wow. Um, so, what we our recommendations were to have better oversight and better checks and balances between the county executive's office and the county
1: council. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to feel about the fact that the auditor did the audit. <laughs> is, that, is that typical? I mean, do you get audited as? Oh yeah, a state auditor and okay. who who does that?
2: Yeah. So I have been audited many, many times. It's been five times now, and um we're aud- i'm audited by the legislature by the state legislature mm. they have a contract and an independent cpa firm comes in and looks at the operations of, our- of my office my cybersecurity mm. measures things like that um we also uh routinely get uh auditors from across the country to come in and look at how we do our audits to make sure that we're we are withholding auditing standards. Mm. And every single time we come out with a clean review that we're efficient, we're effective, we're following all the rules. And so we have re- to routinely gotten clean audits um, every time someone has come in and, and taken a look. And I'm okay with that. You know, I mean yeah. it's it's about accountability um, and no one should be immune from review.
1: Sure yeah great um, and then the last yeah
0: the last one that we wanted to talk about was uh, you did an audit of the public safety budget uh, for the city of st. Louis um, and you found uh, some discrepancies with um, overtime for the police um, purchases around technology, so can you talk up, you know, can you speak to us about like, how does one an audit get triggered? Who requested it if that happened? And then what some of your other findings were?
2: Sure, so the only reason that I'm doing audits in the city of St. Louis is because the Board of Aldermen invited us in to do that. And remember that over a year ago, there was a petition drive to compel my office to do an audit. Because St. Louis County and St. Louis City are, um, you know, uh, first class counties and first class governments, I can't just march in and do an audit without an invitation. So here the Board of Aldermen invited me in to take a deep dive into all aspects of city government. And as you said, we just did tips, we've done many others, there's 11 reports. And the the last one that we issued was uh, on the Department of Public Safety. And actually the the biggest finding that we had um, was over secondary employment. So over a thousand officers And employees in um, the public in the public safety department have secondary employment. And there's rules, police rules within the department that say you can only work 16 hours. You can't work more than 16 hours between your job Mm -hmm. here and another job somewhere else. And we found instances where folks were recording time, but they were working 18 hours or 20 hours Um, and you can't do that. I mean, you just can't do yeah. that. And so they did the, in this, the police did their own internal review as part of uh, when they knew this audit was coming and they found some abuse of that system and turned uh, and are working with the FBI to, um, to resolve that. And so I, I don't know what's happening with that particular instance, but we did sure. some abuses of the secondary employment. Um, the other big, there's two other big findings that we found. One, there's a lot of overtime. I mean, four mm-hmm. million dollars have been spent last year on overtime.
1: Fourteen million dollars, <laughs> real money. <laughs> again, yeah. Yeah. This,
2: the city, the administration is not mm-hmm. monitoring that at all. Has no oversight over that whatsoever. Um, and so, again, you have to know that it's a problem in order to address it and to fix mm-hmm. it. Um, and you know, they're trying. They're trying to change things. They are trying to change their policies. They're trying to recruit officers with higher salaries and things like that, they need to monitor if that's going to work because the whole Mm -hmm. point is, I mean, we want our officers to be safe. They shouldn't work more than 16 hours, but they also need to make sure that the community is safe, right? Mm -hmm. That's what public safety is about is protecting and serving the community. Um, And then the last kind of big audit finding that we found is that with their civilian oversight board, there were instances where they were discussing stuff in closed session uh, and not being transparent with the community, with the public. Um, and so they are now changing that. They're going to discuss more items, more things, including disciplinary actions with some officers in accordance with Sunshine Law out in the open where it should, under as it under the law, be that way.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for walking us through that. I know we're going to talk more, a little more about your kind of thoughts around public safety in the next um, Segment we've been talking about your current job and I know next we want to turn to the the job you're running for um, that of governor and before we do that we're going to take a quick break um, for our STL music minute and we will be right back with state auditor Nicole Galloway. This episode's STL Music Minute features the song Panic Pandemic by Nathaniel Carroll and the Party Line, featuring Art City Defenders' own staff attorney, Nathaniel Carroll. Listeners can find more of their music at ncpartyline.com.
0: Welcome back. Um, Thank you for tuning in. This is Under the Arch. I am Kayla. I am here with Blake and Auditor Galloway. And you were just listening to our Music Minute um, this week. And again, you know, if you have music that you want to share on the podcast, you can email it to us at underthearchpod at gmail.com. But we are back and we spent the first half of this conversation talking about State Auditor Galloway. We're going to spend the second half of this conversation talking to Nicole Galloway, candidate for governor, because we know that that's why you tuned in. And, you know, the TIF conversation was great. We we nerded out about it. But you want to know, uh, you want to hear from the Democratic nominee. And as we begin to have that conversation, we just want to say um, that, as always, we invited Candidates from both uh, major parties um, to join an episode of Under the Arch in the Season. We have not heard back from the Republican candidate for governor. Um, The Democratic candidate is here with us and we are going to jump right in. Congratulations on winning the Democratic nomination for governor. Yeah, thank you. It is an honor.
2: And I, let me tell you, I never expected to be running for governor. <laughs> so yeah. it's
0: honor. I think a lot of people had their eye on you after that, uh, after you survived that wave in 2018. So, um, so the election is—we've said this already—the election is days away, not months anymore, not years anymore, just mere days away. Uh, and people want to hear, you know, about the important reasons that you are choosing to run for
2: governor of Missouri. Yeah, I mean, look, I am running for governor to put Jefferson City back on the side of Missourians, back on the side of working people, back on the side of families, and to act with urgency to protect our fellow Missourians through this pandemic, to get COVID under control so we can get our economy back open again, we can get our schools back open again and we can get back to some normal life um, dealing with COVID. And, you know, Governor Parson, he got to where he is because of the corruption of our politics. He delivers really well for insiders, he delivers really well for special interests, but he leaves the needs of Missouri families behind on health care, on education, on COVID. You know, if he had a plan to solve these problems, we would have seen it already. You know, but he's been in charge. If he had a plan for really getting at the heart of public safety of criminal justice reform, we would have seen it already. But he doesn't. He has failed this test of leadership and it is time for a change
1: yeah so let's you mentioned healthcare. I mean the thing everyone is talking about thinking about is of course, the pandemic is covid nineteen um, as we are recording this the the news is wall to wall. The president of the united states is has tested positive, is in the hospital as we speak um, many questions surrounding that, but this is this is just top of mind for so many people we've lost more than two hundred thousand in this country. Um, many, many more that have been ill, and of course, we know that different communities feel this differently. So, you've obviously made a COVID nineteen action plan a big part of your campaign. Um, what would you do to really get your arms around this problem and, and help Missourians navigate this moment?
2: Yeah, and you know, you know, first of all, you know, President Trump tested positive for COVID as did his wife. Mike Parson, our governor, Parson mm-hmm. and his wife also tested positive for COVID. And That's right. you know, I think that th- I hope that they all have a fast, quick, healthy recovery. I mean, I, I, I certainly want to say that. And, and what I think this tells us is that no matter who you are, no matter where you live, you can get COVID. It can impact you. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's important to take action. To contain the spread of the virus because it is impacting all of us. And that's why I have outlined this plan. Um, It's based on science, it's based on data, on containment, on mitigation, on testing, on actual contact tracing. We don't have a contact tracing program in this state that's real. And a mask order, having a statewide mask rule because we know for so many folks, you know, you might work in St. Louis. You might live in St. Charles. You might visit your family in St. Louis County. The virus doesn't care where you live. It's going to follow you, right? And Mm -hmm. so we need to take action to protect ourselves and use science and data to guide us. You know, Governor Parson, his plan is not working. We are living it right now, where we're in a red zone. Hospitalizations are up. 72% of our ventilators are being used statewide. That is an alarming uh, a statistic, you know, folks are vulnerable and we're headed in the wrong direction. Our positivity rate is 14% this week, 14%. You know, other states, it's 2%, it's 3%. We will never get our lives back. We will not rebu- be able to rebuild our economy until we take action to contain the spread of the virus. I think this will be the defining issue of this campaign, but in reality, it's a defining issue. Of our life right now, and we need it, and the governor that's going to act with urgency to to address it.
0: Yeah, appreciate you laying that out. And you know, the the thing about um, this pandemic is that we we're talking. You know, you've laid out a, a, a plan around keeping people safe. We've lost a lot of people in the city of St. Louis. The first dozen people who died were all black right and and that was an alarming statistic um Art city in action jumped into you know work around creating an advocacy hub cuz we knew that marginalized communities were going to take the brunt of this pandemic and now even even you know whatever wave that people cl- say that we are in right we're still in covid um and covid-19 uh is is looking like it's not going to be gone by 2020 or you know 2021 um but now we're facing the like economic, social devastations that come with moments like this, where we're looking at evictions skyrocketing across the state of Missouri. We're looking at people being, um, you know, impacted by lost wages over several months without any relief. Um, we're looking at the rising cost of medical bills uh, and losing your insurance because you've been furloughed or laid off. What is your plan to address kind of the economic fallout from Such a devastating virus.
2: Yeah, and look, these cracks in our system existed before the pandemic. They have gotten wider and I think have gotten more attention because of COVID. And so, you know, first of all, we can't just go back to where we were on the eve of this crisis and say that's good enough because it wasn't. Things weren't working then, and now they're just under a microscope because we are in the midst of COVID. Um, And I do want to point out that at the state level, there are hundreds of millions of dollars in CARES Act money that is just sitting there with no plan to deploy it to address the issues that you just brought forward, right? The state of Missouri got $2 billion in CARES Act money and time is running out to, uh, to utilize that because it's supposed to lapse at the end of the year. I do hope that there's going to be congressional uh, reauthorization so this money can lapse forward, that there's additional relief packages to address the issues that you're talking about. But, you know, even before this pandemic, when it came to, let's just even say, unemployment benefits, we had some of the hardest unemployment benefits for folks to access. And it makes no sense in the midst of a pandemic to unwind the support for families so they can fall through the cracks to never recover. Um, And I would have, as soon as this pandemic was coming in on all sides of our state and schools were starting to close, it should have been evident to our leaders in Jefferson City that this was going to have a significant uh, economic impact on particularly working parents as they're having to stay home with their kids. Um, and so I would have developed an economic relief council that included working people, representatives from working people and health experts so we could design an opening to get people back to work and keep them safe. People still need relief. They still need assistance. This is not over. And you know, when Governor Parson opened up our state earlier this summer, he declared mission accomplished over COVID in May. He said it was over. This is not over, but that's how he's governing. I know that this is hurting people. I know that there are resources that they need. I also know that those resources are just sitting there in Jefferson City and not being, as I said, deployed in a way to really help people.
1: Yeah, so another um, another major part of your platform is, is what you call safer communities, your kind of vision of public safety Uh, And one of the things I really appreciated when I went and looked at the the Safer Communities tab of your website is you're talking about things like counseling and economic expansion in distressed communities, um, intervention programs like Cure Violence. Um, So often when we start talking about safety and responding to violence in communities, all we hear about are, in fact, police and locking people up. And it seems like you're looking at this a little more holistically. Can you kind of Um, explain for our listeners how you think about building safer communities across Missouri?
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, you know, the agenda that I put forward is based on work that a lot of folks have done already. The research is there. You know, the solutions are in front of us and folks are tired of having meetings about it. They're tired of coming together for a round table. You know, having a meeting is not a policy. That's what we see out of Jefferson City right now. So I wanted to take that and make that a plan. And I'm actually working with uh, Brian Williams, our state senator here in St. Louis and some other legislators to take that plan and make it into legislative action that we can put forward to create change. And so, uh, you know, I approach this very humbly and um, it is based on the root causes of why our communities are not safe. And a story that I'll tell you that really stuck with me, uh, it will stick with me till the day I die. I was in Kansas City, and I know this applies to St. Louis too. I was in Kansas City and heard from a mom who found out that her 15-year-old was going to buy a gun from a 17-year-old. And this mom asked her boy, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you buying this gun? And he said, what difference does it make? I'm not going to live to be 21 anyway. No hope, no opportunity, disinvestment in education, disinvestment in health care and mental health care, a lack of economic empowerment. It's just, it's we don't have to settle for this. We don't have to say that that is the path that 15-year-old boy is going to be on and just accept it as what we, we just don't have to accept it. And so that's what this agenda is about is addressing the needs of our communities and empowering our communities to have a better future. Now, I, I was visiting um, just this morning actually um, at a barbershop in St. Louis and, and talking to some of the, the guys there. And this gentleman um, said, you know, I have four sons. He uh, himself has served in the military Uh, He has four sons and I was talking to him about what hope meant for him, what hope meant for him and for his four boys. And he said, you know, I I tell my boys that they can be anything, that if they work hard, that they can be anything, they can do anything. But in my mind there's an asterisk because I know that's really not true. And I just don't have the heart to tell my kids that. Hmm. Why are we settling for that? Why are we saying that's good enough? And so what i I want change, I want something better. And the agenda that I've worked on and put forward is making a real platform for hope. So that gentleman in that barbershop doesn't have that aspect in his mind anymore.
1: Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And of course, Kayla and I and our teams um, see this in our work all the time that for for many of the people that that we serve and that we are in relationship with, the, the the government and the state shows up in their lives, not in supportive, helpful ways, but rather in punitive ways. And um, a big part of, you know, you heard us starting out the show talking about an update on our Close the Workhouse campaign, which is all about trying to move resources out of that particular jail into community. Of course, this summer, we've heard a lot of critiques around um, police, police accountability, police accountability, a defund the police campaign. What all of these things are really about, and and, um, what I'd love to um, hear you talk about, is what you think the implications are for public spending. Um, A lot of, in the organizing world, we use the terms invest divest, that we talk about divesting from certain systems of punitive systems and investing in communities. Is that part of your thinking? How do you sort of engage with that concept?
2: Yeah. And, you know, first, I want to see more accountability and oversight and policing and have put forward a reform agenda on that as well, um, because we do have to change our systems. Right. And, you know, when you talk about investment and disinvestment or reinvestment, you know, I do think that we need to we need reform. We need to reimagine what our systems are. And um, budgets are about priorities, right and you can look at government and see what has been prioritized based on where the spending is and you know that you know far too often we send our law enforcement to serve as mental health specialists or addiction counselors domestic mediators case managers for the homeless we rely on police for short term immediate resolutions rather than investing and giving complex matters a holistic solution, right? And I, you know, again, I think budgets are about priorities and we have to, we have to, we, of course, folks want to live in safe communities, right? People want public safety. We all want to be safe. Of course we do. Um, but we also have to address why people are not safe uh, and, and get right. to that and prioritize that in, in our budgets as well.
0: Yeah, right. I, I appreciate that. I think, you know, um, we we think about resources and we don't think about w- when we see harm. And St. Louis is is dealing with a violent um, epidemic, right? Has been for, has been my entire life. It's not something that, it gets politicized, you know, during election years. But year after year, we see this. I say in St. Louis, we have one map, right? No matter what you're looking for, Covid com- test, testing um, for COVID or um, evictions or education levels, unemployment rates, high school dropout rates, gun violence rates, incarceration rates, it's always the same neighborhoods that are gonna be the darker color. And that means that we can't think of those outcomes as separate or disconnected. And, and so I appreciate that when we're thinking about people who will end up in a place like the workhouse, because they have, because something, they've been accused of doing something that is usually survivalistic, right? We have to start thinking about investing in the things that keep people safe in their homes, Mm -hmm. that children need to eat, right? That families need healthcare, that there need to be schools and programs that create um, support systems um, and not just responding to Um, what becomes the outcome of a lack of those things over decades and decades and decades. So I appreciate that. Uh, One thing that we have noticed during COVID, you know, and, and actually St. Louis, we really are passionate about is the impact of COVID on our democracy. And we are weeks away from days away, I'm gonna stop saying weeks cause it's, it's not even, <laughs> it's, not, it's almost not plural anymore. We are days away from um, a really important uh, election for a lot of reasons, right? We are talking about judges and state legislators and governors and U.S. Senates in some states and of course the federal election. Um, but people are voting right now. People are going to vote in droves on November 3rd. Um, And there have not, in my opinion, there have not been enough, uh, there's not been enough action to really shore up our democratic structures to ensure that people are safe. Um, How would you address, you know, what, what do you have a similar critique of how our state is handling prepping for the election? How do you plan to kind of address that if you become governor?
2: I mean, first of all, we don't make it easy to vote even if there's not a pandemic, right? Now in the midst of a pandemic, you need a flow chart to figure out your, you know, if you can vote by absentee or by mail or what your excuses, or if you need a notary. And, you know, every time that there's a hurdle to the ballot, it's intentional to hope that we can create a system or that a system has been created honestly by the insiders in Jefferson City to make it harder to vote and to disincentivize voting. I believe in getting rid of the notary requirement. I believe in no excuse absentee voting. I believe in early voting. And this doesn't have to be a political thing. Democrats and Republican-led states across our country have figured out a way to make voting accessible and safe, right? Because we want our elections to be safe too. So we don't need all these hurdles. But the fact of the matter is we have them right now. You know, they exist right now, and we have an incredibly important election coming up. And so folks need to, uh, they, if you have to vote early, vote absentee. You can vote by mail. Um, and you can go to movotesafe.org and find out if you're registered to vote, where you're registered to vote, how you can go and vote, um, and the best ways to do that. You know, a big part of my campaign is what's called Voter protection. Uh, ensuring that if folks have questions about the ballot, they're able to access it and their vote can be turned in in a way that counts because it is really confusing. And again, that's on purpose. Let's not let it work. Let's show them that we're going to go to it, that we're going to go vote. There's a way to push back about against this confusing system and it's to access the ballot yourself and seize power from the politicians in Jefferson city and have your voice heard.
0: Yeah. Long term, do you do you want Missouri to become an early voting state? Non excuse. Yes, I do. Me too. Yes, I do. <laughs> 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 Me too. <laughs> yeah, so you know, we were, we were talking about elections, and and I, I moved us into election, but I did want to just focus one more moment on an issue that is really significant, important to our organizations, our base, uh, and constituents in St. Louis, and, and really across the country, that we are looking at uh, the threat of massive evictions on the on the mm-hmm. horizon, um, and that you know each week families are getting a sigh of relief because a judge in a particular district says, we're gonna to wait to do this, we're gonna to wait to do that. But that anxiety is building for the moment um, that eventually there won't be an extension on, on a moratorium um, in certain jurisdictions. How can the state handle this um, in a way that's not going to create you know, such, such devastation and people losing homes?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, uh, the patchwork that's created right now does not work um, because you have a different role. I know that local governments like St. Louis City and St. Louis County are trying to do things and Jackson County and Kansas City as well uh, to address this. But it's just a patchwork and that doesn't really work. Um, and so uh, I would like to see the state get involved here. The the reality is, is that um, when the federal government passed some of their relief in a very bipartisan way earlier this year, uh, they provided stimulus to families, they had um, uh, rules on eviction that worked. Why aren't we working on that now? Why aren't we, why are we trying to pretend like the pandemic is over? Um, And so the state needs to do its part too, but we need to put pressure on those at the federal level to pass a relief package again. There is one that is sitting there. So because it it, it hurts these families, it puts them again on the edge that they're likely to get pushed off of. That's not what we need. Folks are losing their homes and losing their jobs through no fault of their own because of this pandemic. Um, The state does have relief funds that can be used for this. Uh, And so as I said, the state needs to do its part. Um, But when I win in November, I won't take office till January. And families can't wait, right? Families cannot right. wait. This is an immediate need, an immediate problem. And so we need to put pressure on our leaders now uh, to address this problem in the short term, but also look to
1: the long term, as you're saying, Kayla. Mm-hmm. Do you favor a statewide eviction moratorium? In- uh, so- I
2: yeah, and I think again, that's something that the state needs to to instead of having a patchwork of rules, that there needs to be something consistent, uh, if there can be, um, because I, I just don't think the patchwork works. I mean, you you would force a family from going to from you know St. Louis, maybe they could do something and, and get housing in St. Louis County or Jefferson County, only to face the same problem um, almost immediately, right? And so right. I, just, I think that this is an instance, when you're talking about a pandemic that is impacting us statewide and nationwide, there has to be consistency in how we're protecting families, because that level of uncertainty is just not, it's not fair. Uh, yeah. Again, to these folks that have done everything right, but this pandemic is impacting them a way they could never have imagined. Somebody needs to have yeah. their
1: way. Yeah. Well, Auditor Galloway, um, we've really enjoyed talking to you. I know you are counting down the days until election me. day. Yeah. Okay. Squeeze just it in.
0: As like a Just like a, as an FYI, like if, 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 if things happen the way you want them to happen in days, would you be the first woman to be governor of Missouri? Yes, I would. Wow. Did you wow. know that you never had a woman as governor?
1: Sadly, yes, I,
0: I did know that. I, that. I knew it. I just was. I just was doing that. I was just saying that. We're <laughs>
1: supposed
0: to be like, I didn't know that. Case. Public
1: education.
0: Public education. Um, you, know, you, education. Have to, you have to.
1: You have to. You know, tee it up. You have to let me know. I I'm supposed it, I was to play like, along.
0: I mean, we're on Zoom. We're looking at each other.
1: Yeah, I, I know, but okay. you know, we'll get our cues down next time.
0: <laughs> Auditor Galloway, one more time for the folks who are like, okay, listen, I need to take this serious. Election day isn't. X amount of days away. It's election day every day till November 3rd. What is, how do people find that information
1: on voting one more time? MoVotesafe.org. MoVotesafe.org. Auditor Galloway, thank you so much. We know your time is precious. We appreciate you spending some of it with us today.
2: Oh my gosh, this was such a joy. Thank you all for having me. Thank you for everything you do to make change and make people's lives better.
1: Thank you. Thank you, and we will be right back, quick break, quick break, we'll be right back to wrap this up on Under the Arch.
0: Welcome back, welcome back. This is, um, that was such a good conversation. What did you think about that it? It was great.
1: I mean, I, I learned things.
0: Yeah, I learned a lot. And I think I, I really do. I am excited about this idea of having the conversations about TIF because as, as our yes. organizations really do have, you know, kind of particular issue areas that we do a lot of work in, economic justice and the way that economic development impacts all of those conversations uh, is, really, is really important. And so I'm, I'm excited to, I'm excited that we got to talk about that and that we're going to make sure to, to bring that conversation back around.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, I I really enjoy when we get a chance whether in debate, forum format or in a conversation like this to talk to elected officials and people running for office because I think it's so important to to not just know the positions that are on their website to also know the the thinking that informs those positions. So, as we said earlier, um we have invited um Governor Parson to to the podcast to have a similar discussion about how he thinks about all of these issues. Um if if they take us up on that, you will hear an episode with him as well. Of course, this is a nonpartisan podcast, so this isn't about endorsements. This is about getting you the information that you need.
0: Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. And also, you need this information. Why? Because you're about to vote. That's why you need it. We're not just you talking. to be. because they're running without an end date. They won't, you know, they, there's an election on November 3rd. And so if you're mm. not registered, this episode is airing right before the deadline to register to vote, which is October 7th, 1159 p.m. Central Standard Time. Get your registration in.
1: Register. Tell be- everyone
0: you know to, you know to register. To register. Drop it off. Register at your local board of elections, or you can go online, print it off, and have it mail. as long as it's postmarked. Um, you're good to go. If you're requesting the absentee ballot, we know that the mail system has taken a hit over the last few months. Request it early, send it back early so that it can be there on time. And if you yeah. are voting um, absentee in person, be sure to wear your mask take folks with you. If you have any questions about that, we have an election center on our website, actionstl.org. On uh, this election, beyond um, particular candidates, in my opinion, it's about conditions. The things that we demand of in our organizations, in our communities, mm-hmm. in the streets these past few months, those are at stake with you know, and, and are impacted when we show up to vote. So use your voice. It truly does matter. It has an impact. Local elections matter so much, and there's so much more on the ballot than just who occupies the White House. So
1: fill the whole thing out. That counts, too, though. That counts, too, though. <laughs> as, as long as I have been, you know, politically conscious, I've he- heard people saying this is the most important election of our lifetime, but truly, but truly, this, this is one. the most important election yeah, Out of all the election of elections lifetime. I've
0: ever voted in, uh, this be my fourth uh, federal presidential election. Uh, this one seems like the most important it's of all the- special. Ones <laughs> this yes. one seems most so important, but also, you know, beyond that, the governor is a really important role. The Secretary of State, the Attorney General, the people who are the policymakers in our state house, the judges that occupy the district courts, the referendum and ballot initiatives that are on the ballot are important. They are important, they are important. We've been able to increase minimum wage, uh, expand Medicaid all through the referendum process. So pay attention to your organizations that you like, um, get the information that you need and go vote.
1: Yep. So switching gears slightly, a quick reminder that um, speaking of politics, the Board of Aldermen in the city is back in session, which means that the Close the Workhouse campaign is back at it. You know, we passed an ordinance um, back in July that is set to close the jail by the end of the year. If you were paying attention last week, you may have seen or heard about a public safety committee hearing Mm -hmm. in which some folks in the city are, are making noises about that not moving forward as scheduled. We -hmm. of course are not going to stand by and let that happen. So we may need you. Please make sure you're following Close the Workhouse on Facebook, Twitter, all the places, Action St. Louis, Arch City, Bail Project, um, we may need to, to make clear yet again what it is that we expect of local officials um, and make sure that we can move that money to some participatory budgeting. Get to, get to the fun part, get which is part. how do we actually use this money differently? So Absolutely. stay tuned for that.
0: Other than that, Blake, I think, you know, we want to thank our team. We have been yes. on hiatus, but I promise you we've been working like we've never worked before. <laughs> um, but we are glad to be back to be bringing you uh, the end of season two. Um, so we want to thank our entire team, Nathan, Simone, Zeke. Uh, all the hands that touch this podcast. We want to again thank uh, Auditor Galloway for joining us. And we want to thank you for listening because uh, it's a pandemic and so things are not consistent. We've been gone for some weeks, but we are back and we are glad that you are back listening. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. Thanks for all the notes asking us where we've been. We felt them. We see the love, we feel the love. And we're excited to bring you some really great episodes to wrap up 2020.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm, yeah. I'm excited about this this stretch that we're going. We're going to close out 2020 with a bang. It's been a rough 2020, but we're going to close it out with a bang yeah. on Under with the Arch. Um, so we just wanted to close this out um, by acknowledging that St. Louis lost one of its local legends just yesterday. Again, we're recording this on on Saturday, October 3rd, and just yesterday. Um, Bob Gibson, Cardinals Hall of Fame pitcher, two-time World Series champion, Bob Gibson uh, passed away yesterday, and he was such a uh, for for those Cardinals fans. He was such a legendary figure here. Um, actually, in the I, I live in the Grove, and just last year they renamed or dedicated one of the streets in the Grove as Bob Gibson Way. Uh, so I see that sign pretty regularly. Uh, and he he was such a well-known figure. So um, we wanted to acknowledge him and say, rest in power, Bob Gibson, uh, and thank you for all of the, the joy and memories you brought to people in St. Louis. Yeah. And with that, we want to thank you for listening.
0: With that, we and hope you are, you are safe and well where you are. Yes i uh, sending you a lot of love because we know the season is changing. It's about to be fall in St. Louis, which means it'll be winter in St. Louis. Um, yes, but stay safe. Um, <laughs> stay safe. And we will see you next time on Under the Arch. Bye.
1: Bye.